Welcome to Tales She Told Me, a podcast featuring honest conversation about what it means to be a woman, a mother, and in business. I'm your host, Farah Haydar. Today, we will be discussing the four stages of the creative process, and joining me is Fiona Valentine. Fiona is a business coach and artist that believes real artists don't starve, they thrive. She started a side hustle that turned her painting hobby into a profitable business, and now she helps other artists do the same. Her signature coaching program, Business School for Artists, is designed to help artists make money from their art, even if they've never sold any of their art before. Fiona has been a regular writer for Australian Artist Magazine, featured on the TV show Color in Your Life, and the Art Biz Podcast. She's also a certified business coach with the Nurture to Convert Society, helping women to access creativity in their business so content creation becomes easier and feels more fun. Fiona, thank you for being here. Um, I was really attracted to your background because as an aspiring writer and voice artist myself, um, who also happens to have an MBA and runs a business, right? I have those two things going on. I see way too many artists who don't know about business or charging for their art. And really, to me, they, they really are solopreneurs. They should look at themselves like that, right? Um, so yeah. what I'm curious about is how did you end up doing this? Yeah, you started off as an artist. How did you end up doing this? Yeah, the, the long and winding road to here. Well, fun to be having this conversation with you. I love all the different areas you're working on, Farah, and the creativity that's needed for them is just like the creativity needed for being an artist. So I didn't really plan on ending up here. It just, you know, life happens and unfolds. You follow your heart and end up hopefully where you want to be. Um, I was working as an admin manager painting on the side as a hobby. And I really wanted to pursue painting full time. And so I started to explore, how do you do this? How do you make a living as an artist? And I have a teaching background. So when I learn something, I'm keen to figure it out and explain it to someone else. That's just Mm -hmm. fun for me. So looking at what artists were being told the beliefs that people had, the things I was being told and the things I discovered, I realized, oh my goodness, there are so many things here that artists need to know that they're not being told that are not easy to find. And so I started working, I was teaching painting classes, but I started getting really excited about the things I was learning, particularly in the online space and the potential there for artists to really own their creativity, own themselves, as you said, as solopreneurs and to develop that. So that's really how I came to start Business School for Artists and just bring those things together. Yeah, you know, it sounds like you had these these kind of disparate experiences that you've tied together. But here's my question for you. It kind of seems like it's almost in a golden age for artists right now, right? Like we can circumvent so many of the third parties now by self-publishing or or just going on and sharing your stuff online, you know, direct to consumer, that kind of thing. Is that what you focus on with a lot of your clients? Absolutely. Yes. You, The keys to the artistic kingdom have changed. <laughs> there aren't the same gatekeepers that there were. There's a lot of freedom. And that doesn't mean it's easy. That doesn't mm-hmm. mean success is guaranteed. It means that you can skill up in new areas. And if you choose to work with a gallery, 
if you choose to sell on social media, you don't have to be waiting for someone to give you permission. If that gallery closes, you're not lost. If you're a solopreneur who's built a solid business and you realize that, uh aha, your email list is your number one asset, that connection, that immediate connection with your collectors that's possible now because of technology, it's possible with collectors all over the world. It's priceless. You're right. It's a, it is a kind of golden age for artists. Yeah. You know, I'm so glad you brought up the email list because I'm so, I'm an old school marketer. You know, I was marketing when there wasn't email um, and then email was the new thing and everyone loved it. But for me, email is still king. Like as a, as my own, mm-hmm. as someone I sell, one of one of my business is that I have a bakery and we sell treats nationwide, right? We ship things nationwide. Email still seems to be king. I mean, there's so much hype about social media and don't get me wrong. Social media is great. It's a great discovery tool. But when you talk about connection, right? I don't think you can beat email still. Maybe, maybe I will, I will put this in. Maybe SMS will take over. I can see that as a direct uh, I think it'll probably be a both end and end. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because and, and. Yep. yeah, text has its uh, value, but email is a little bit different in that we expect a slightly longer form in mm. that. And so I think when you start to use these things in conjunction, it can really help you to build that connection and they can work together, the social media, the website, the email list, texts, if that's how you choose to work, those, you know, DMs, all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. When you're focused on your ideal collector and building a relationship, then all of these become tools that you can build together into a marketing ecosystem. And yes, I think email is still very, very powerful. And I would argue probably your number one. So yeah, you know, I, I I'll I will take that. I will accept that as an answer, but, but I'm just, I'm beginning to wonder. And the reason why I wonder is because of the influx of the younger generation who really is like, I'm, I'm chained to my email, right? Like everything comes to me via email. And even I find myself responding sometimes to text a lot quicker. Um, But you're right. If I wanted a long form, I don't want that through text. I I want it through email. So it's good. I, it's going to be so interesting for me to watch the evolution as the younger generation comes in, whether they end up having to get hooked into email or they just find new ways. Because I mean, why did we all get hooked into email, right? We got it hooked into email because of work, but now you have Slack and all these things. So I don't know. It's, I mean, it's curious. Yeah. We'll leave it at that. Yeah. Um, Anyways, I wanted to branch out to something else more, more in your lane. Um, So what does, what do you say to this myth that we have? And this is one of the things when I talk to artists that comes up a lot, that art is somehow above commerce, you know, like, Mm -hmm. like almost conflating (laughs) the two is is a taboo. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't have a whole lot for that opinion. I I kind of understand it in that I think one is there are things that are more important than money and we all know that and we value that and art is one of those things. But at the same time, artists are humans who have kids, who have jobs, who, or maybe they don't have jobs, they have, sorry, they have bills. And if they're not in a job, then really they're either painting for a hobby and they have a job or they are an artist entrepreneur. They're in business. Mm-hmm. Whether they're doing that well or not, not many artists are employed by someone to make art. 
yeah. great if if you can do that and it works for you. But for most of us, we're in charge of our own income and there's a responsibility you know, as a business owner to learn how to do that. And even if you are picked up by a gallery or whatever, you don't actually control that. And if they close, you're stumped. So mm-hmm. taking charge of that business side of it is a necessity. And I don't see any conflict with art because as a human, I think there's just a humility that says, I need to work, I need to make money, I need to support my family. And there's no shame in that. We're all mm-hmm. humans doing this in one way or another. And if I can do that in a way that brings my highest value to the world, mm-hmm. that's making a contribution, that is a wonderful thing. So I have very little patience with the mm-hmm. whole idea that art and commerce are just a, a bad mix. Um, I, I do understand that art is beyond just monetary value. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, I really embrace the humility of being an artist, being a human who works for a living. I I agree with that. I think it's rooted, um, it actually has its roots probably, if I were to give it a guess, probably has its roots when you had to be sponsored as an artist, you know, and therefore they controlled your art in some way because if they didn't like what you were talking about, then they they pulled their funds. So yes, it should be above commerce because artists are supposed to be supposed to be like to be free, kids. to be authentic. Yeah. Yes. And authentic. Yeah. We have the ability to do both. So let me say, you mentioned when we were talking, you mentioned turning away mm-hmm. from your creativity at one point, cause you thought it was frivolous, right? So tell mm-hmm. us how you came to be and what you would tell your old self now. So this was Years ago, as a young mum, my husband and I were working in West Africa and we were in a context, a small remote village. We didn't have running water or electricity. So we were encountering families who had very little on a daily basis and lots of just the troubles that come with poverty and suffering. And for me, that felt like enjoying my creativity was just really self-indulgent. And it did feel very frivolous in that context. And I couldn't see the obvious that the women around me, whose lives were were tough, they were enjoying their creativity in the midst of a tough life. They were embroidering and decorating and very creative and artistic. And they were just doing it in little ways that fit with their life. It was beautiful, but kind of like imposter syndrome. You know, sometimes these ideas that grab hold of us and limit our creativity, they they can be very powerful. And I think a lot of people struggle with this, particularly if they're watching the news. You know, maybe they're seeing what's going on in Ukraine. They're seeing suffering in different parts of the world and the media just make sure that we have that from all over the world, far more than our poor souls can cope with. And it can make us feel like there's something wrong in choosing joy. There's something wrong in just a enjoying my creativity when there's not. Actually, creativity is fundamental to being human and it's a very healing thing and it can really help us through times of trauma and stress and grief. We need a certain amount of beauty in our lives. So I would say to myself way back then as a young mum living in that mud village, Fiona, you need your creativity. It's okay. It's okay to rest. It's okay to choose joy. It's okay to enjoy stitching or painting or drawing. The women around you are doing it and you need this to be mentally healthy. 
Yeah, I can't tell you how much I relate to that answer. I was actually, um, I grew up in a civil war. I lived in West Africa for a little bit too, funnily enough. Um, so I understand yeah. what you're talking about when you, when you, you know, the level of poverty yeah. that you see is unlike anything you really see in the industrialized world. Yeah. Um, but I have to tell you, you know, looking at it, a lot of people often ask me when, when I tell them, you know, I grew up in Beirut and went through the civil war, they're like, well, how did you make it through? And I'm like, oh my God, the Lebanese are the most funniest creative people I know. And it, it, they, that's how they made it through. They just, they were creative. They were funny and creative and um, leaving that and, and moving to the U.S., I think part of my creativity suffered because there was a lot of kind of like survivor's guilt, like yes. You know what I mean? It was, exactly. it was hard. I know and it was exactly hard. what you mean. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like how, who am I to be able to get out? Right. Um, yes. And that was a, that was something I had to really work through. So I love that answer very, very much. And you're right. Like I, you know, even in extreme poverty, I've seen people do incredibly creative, beautiful work um, because it brings them yeah. joy and, and, Joy it helps them survive. It helps yeah. others. Yeah, it helps others survive. We can bring that to other people when we keep that alive within ourselves. Absolutely. It's a good thing. I love it. So you you say, you talk a little bit in some of your work, you talk about the four stages of the creative process. Um, yeah. So why don't you tell me a little bit what those four stages are and how you translate them into different areas of your life? I really love talking about the four stages of creativity because I think so many of us have, um, we have even more odd ideas about creativity and we tend to think the whole thing should feel like inspiration. And some of these ideas set us up for failure or for telling ourselves, oh, well, I'm just not creative. In fact, 50% mm -hmm. of people don't think they are creative. And the truth is you're creative because you were born human. 100% of us have creative potential. It just needs to be recognised and developed and it's not going to look the same for everybody. Yours is writing, mine's painting, teaching. Mm -hmm. For someone else it might be medicine, manufacturing. Whatever industry or career you're in, creativity is essential because it's really about problem-solving and bringing ideas to life. Mm -hmm. It's about pushing through that horrible feeling of, I have no idea what I'm doing, or this isn't working, or but I don't have any ideas. Yep. It's learning to push through that and come out the other side. And that's where the four stages help because, no, it's not all going to feel like inspiration. Most of us have had a great idea and been energized by it and time seems to just disappear and we could you know, stay up all night. We've probably tasted a little bit of that, but that's not actually the norm. And waiting for inspiration to show up to start working is a disaster waiting to happen. And part of that's understanding how our brains work, that often inspiration shows up when you stop working, when you step away from the task and you stop asking your brain to work through your to-do list, then it does its own thing. And in the background, it gathers memories, experiences, emotions, ideas, things it's read in books and seen in movies and feelings. And it seems to just troll through all of our subconscious and put together, or our unconscious, puts together these ideas and makes weird new combinations. And then it sort of offers them up to our conscious thinking as ideas. But it happens at the weirdest times. It happens when you're in the shower, when you're driving the car, 
when you're chopping veggies, when you're just flopping on the couch. And so it's easy to not do anything with it. The trick is to catch it. (laughs) When it shows up, catch it and then come back to it when it's time to work. So that's inspiration. Catch it while you can. It's fleeting. Uh, you'll the more you pay attention, the more ideas you'll have, and make sure you write them down somewhere where you can actually find them. Don't you know? Write it down on random pieces of paper <laughs> that you can't find when it's time to work. Be very specific. Treat these things as precious because they are. The second stage is references, and this is far more perspiration, not inspiration. This is about doing your homework, doing your research. Maybe, you know, if you're an artist, you might need to gather a model. You might need to put together um, a still life. You might need to go out in the landscape or take photos or make sketches. Mm -hmm. If you're doing copywriting, you might need to do some research, check out what the opposition are doing. Um, You might need to gather photos, um, whatever it is that you think might help you. Do some exploring, do some gathering, collect your tools. The third stage is design. And this is recognising that you can stand on the shoulders of others. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. You don't have to try and start from scratch. But you can learn from others and borrow. It's not about going and copying one person's work, you know, as is. It's taking 100 influences and also understanding that there are templates, there are principles of design, whether you're a writer or a painter whether you're making social media copy or email, there are things that you can learn from the experts. So make use of those. And when you know what your design should look like, how long it should be, how large it should be, uh, what its job is, what the purpose is, then you can start to put those ideas that you gathered, that homework that you did, and you can design something with your end in mind, the right colours, the right fonts, the right size painting, the right style. It depends the industry that you're applying your creativity to, but design is a really important step. And these steps don't have to happen all in one go. You might have several work sessions in each of these stages. And then finally, you're ready for the creation stage. And this is where you pull together the inspiration, the development that you did in the research, the design templates that you've got, the graphics that you've collected, and you pull it together and you you might have several drafts. It might start off ugly. That's absolutely fine. But you keep working through your process, a process that's suitable for your current level of skills and ability, and you get to the outcome. So I like to think in those four stages, and I find that they're, they're just really helpful. Yeah. So, you know, there's this debate among writers. I know you're a painter, but there's this debate among writers about how to write a book. And some writers say, you just sit down and start writing. You see where it takes you. And other writers are like, oh, no, no, no. Like I sit down, I outline, I have research, I have. So it's, it's, it's funny. I find that, um, I'm, I'm personally a planner. I think people who don't plan just Mm -hmm. like to redo work a lot. (laughs) True. You know, they just like to redo the whole thing because I was talking to one of these ladies that was just like, oh, I sit down and write. She was like, oh, yeah, I sat down and write and I got like 70 percent way through the book. And then I realized that the whole point of view was wrong. So I just wrote the rest of the 30 percent in the right point of view. And I went back and edited and I'm like, oh, my God, that sounds painful. Yes, I'm with you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. 
So you mentioned something interesting while you were talking. You were saying, you know, it depends on what industry you're working in. Um, and yes. that was that was a very like it kind of st- stuck out to me because one of the things you teach is how to make art people want to buy. And do you think there's a conflict there? Like, is art not supposed to challenge people rather than fit them? Good question. Mm-hmm. I think art is way broader than challenge. I do think that's one of the powerful roles art can have. But I also think that beauty is really important. We kind of touched on that before from a healing point of view. Mm -hmm. So I think there are a lot of contexts where something other than challenge is essential. Let's say you're creating an environment in your home. Challenge may not be what your family need at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. There may be joy beauty, a calm, something that gives your kids hope. There may be, you know, remembering beautiful holidays, just the pleasure of the landscape or something that's beautiful. That may be exactly what your family need at that point. And that's a very different thing than art that may be in a public space that is about challenge. Mm -hmm. If you're in a healthcare environment, art can bring so much of a soothing, healing, calming, restoring presence quietly to people who are dealing with trauma and grief. There are so many different settings. In an office setting, it's actually been proven that artwork that's personally chosen can increase productivity. But in that environment, you may not be choosing artwork that's a challenge, you know, particularly confronting, whereas there are other settings where that might, yeah, exactly. To me, that's more art for a very particular setting and probably a public setting rather than confronting is not really one of the emotions I'm looking for in my home most of the time. (laughs) We may have confrontations, but they're probably not triggered by the art. (laughs) We're probably using the art to help us recover from a confrontation (laughs) that was triggered by something else. So I I just think it's a lot broader. And um, if you know who you're making art for, maybe you're making art for people who absolutely love horses. The whole equine industry has all sorts of angles. Maybe it's for people who love a particular peninsula and the beaches and lifestyle and all of that maybe you're not maybe you're creating public art that is confronting about a particular issue just knowing what your purpose is as an artist and who you're creating for and what kind of emotions you're trying to elicit I think is really the point not just one of those options you know this is so interesting because every time um I talk to artists or 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 artists are spoken about it's often in that renegade kind of they had this idea and people just fell in love with it it was it's never it's never really presented as a service which is what I hear you saying like art should be a service to the people that you want to serve is that am I getting it right or is yes absolutely I I really do think that and I think it for me it flows out of being true to yourself because we're all unique. And so our motivations, the things that inspire and get us excited, the contribution that we want to make, it's completely different for every person. And if you can focus on what you love to do and you can look at your own personality, what colors appeal to you, what Mm -hmm. styles appeal to you, uh, what do you like, what are you choosing for yourself? How do you dress? How do you decorate your home? That's going to give you a ton of clues 
about the style that comes naturally to you. And so you're looking for people who would love what you love, who would love what you do. And so it's kind of a um, a perfect match, really. Oh, wow. That's, it's a very... It's a very unique way, I think, of looking at it. So um, I applaud you for coming up with a different way of, of looking at it because it's it's just never been presented to me that way. And I, I actually really do like it. It appeals to the entrepreneur, I think, in me. Um, so now I get to ask you a question that I love asking all my guests. It's, it's my evergreen question. It's what is a weird habit or ritual you have that makes your life more joyful? <laughs> well, uh, recently. <laughs> My husband, who enjoys golf, has been trying to teach me how to putt. So we've been having a nightly putt-off in the lounge room with a coffee cup and his putter and a handful of golf balls. And there are points for the person who can, you know, hit the cup just Mm -hmm. just right. And, of course, you lose points if you actually hit the skirting board (laughs) or the furniture. (laughs) But, yeah, that's been fun. That's Wow, that's that's such a great way to connect. I think at the end of the day, especially with a cup of coffee, you had me at coffee. I'll do pretty much yeah. anything for a cup of coffee. <laughs> well, Fiona, it was a pleasure having you. Um, if you've, if you're out there and you'd like to hear more from Fiona, um, or if you're interested in unlocking more creativity in your life or business, you can book a call with Fiona to find out more about her business coaching and workshops. She also has a free guide available called how to start selling your art. Head to Instagram at Fiona Valentine Artist or her website, www.fionavalentine.com to find out more. Of course, all links in the show notes below. Now, as always, I'd love to hear from you about this episode. What do you think about creativity and commerce? Hit me up on Instagram or Facebook at Farah Haydar. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you'll get notified when a next episode is available. Also, I'm giving away a PDF of some of the best quotes we've had on the show, beautifully designed to print and journal your thoughts. Email me at farah at farahadar.com and title it, Quotes. Talk to you soon. Till then, chase your happy.